Let me pray for us, and we'll get right into the message. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for these ancient writings that have been t- passed down to us through many, many generations. And we bless you, God, for the ways in which you have revealed yourself in powerful and redemptive ways in the past that still teach us and motivate us and inspire us even today. So as we dig into this uh, book and some of these writings, may you enlighten our hearts and our souls once again to seeing just how brilliant of a message you have given to people past and to people now present. And may that message move us and transform us to living into this world in a whole new way, uh, a way that invokes your kingdom and your presence and the very, very best of what you intended for humanity here on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray in your name. Amen. Uh, My title this evening is Unintended. We are going to read a very, very lengthy portion of Leviticus. I've thrown it up onto the screen. And the reason for that is because there are several pieces that flow together through all of these sacrifices. If you've missed the first couple weeks of Leviticus, we've been starting in chapter 1. We actually started in Genesis about three years ago, and now we're in Leviticus, and we started in chapter 1, talking about the sacrificial system and what that means and what setting that was in. And today is going to continue on with that theme and dig down deep into the next portion of the sacrifices, the sacrifices for the unintentional sins. And we're going to draw from that a couple themes and a couple insights that we may have never seen before. And I'm hoping, honestly, a couple moments of inspiration where we actually will take a hard look at ourselves individually, as well as communally, as well as culturally, politically, things that are going on even uh, today that I think have some relevance. So, Hang with me. We're going to read the entire chapter, chapter 4, the very beginning of the unintentional sins, the sacrifices for the unintentional sins. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, and if you notice, there's a little dash there, which means that this is kind of the header. This is the header for all of what is to come, a section that's going to cover unintentional sins And now we're going to get to some specifics. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He is to present the bull at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. He is to lay his hand on its head and slaughter it there before the Lord. And if you remember a couple weeks back, we talked about one hand upon the head as a symbolism of some sort of transgression, some sort of acknowledgement that what this is going to symbolize is something that I have done wrong. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood, carry it to the tent of meeting. He is to dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord, a really key phrase in this passage, in front of the curtain of the sanctuary. The priest shall then put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense that is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. The rest of the bull's blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He shall remove all the fat from the bull of the sin offering, all the fat that is connected to the internal organs. Both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins, 
and the long lobe of the liver, which he will remove with the kidneys, just as the fat is removed from the ox sacrifice as a fellowship offering. That was last week's message, the well-being offering, the shlamim offering. Then the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the hide of the bull and its, all its flesh, as well as the head and the legs, the internal organs, and the intestines, that is, all the rest of the bull, he must take outside the camp to a place ceremonial clean, where the ashes are thrown and burnt in there, in a wood fire on the ash heap. That's for the priest, the religious leader of the community. Next, if the whole community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though the community is unaware of the matter, when they realize their guilt and the sin they committed becomes known, the assembly must bring a young bull as a sin offering and present it before the tent of meeting. And then it goes on and provides a very similar ritual. Remember, we've talked about rituals, how they are symbolically representative of some deeper spiritual meaning, some sort of uh, depth of meaning that is understood by the person but is acted out. So it goes on with the removing of the fat. In this way, the priest will make atonement for the community and they will be forgiven. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how this particular set of sacrificial uh, directions was to give you very specified ways of being forgiven. Whereas all the other gods and goddesses is extremely arbitrary. You're kind of grasping at whatever might work here. You do this. Atonement for the community will happen and they will be forgiven. That's for the priest. Then there's directions for the whole community. And then third, a leader within the community. When a leader sins, unintentionally does what is forbidden in any of the commands of the Lord his God, when he realizes his guilt and the sin he has committed becomes known, he must bring as his offering a male goat without defect. And then it goes through a very similar ritual about placing the hand and putting your finger in the blood, putting it on the horns of the altar. And in this way, once that ritual is done, in this way, the priest will make atonement for the leader's sin and he will be forgiven. Last, priest, community, a leader within the community, then any member within the community. If any member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, when they realize their guilt and the sin they have committed becomes known, they must bring as their offering for the sin they committed a female goat without defect, lay their hand on it, slaughter it at the place of birth, put the blood in, the horns, the altar, the fellowship, just like the fellowship offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them and they will be forgiven. And again, there's this one segment that allows if you can't afford that or if you are of a different class, then you can bring forth a lamb place it on the horns of the altar, just like the fellowship offering. And the chapter closes with this phrase. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them for the sin they have committed, and they will be forgiven. I want to start after that passage by asking you a question. Have you ever been a part of an organization or a community, perhaps even a church, a group of people, maybe it was a party, maybe it was some sort of uh, gathering where the person who was in charge, the leader of the organization, and that might have been a religious leader, 
could have been a politician. Maybe you were a part of a country where a politician or a business where an executive or some sort of organization where an authority figure did something that had unintended consequences. Have you ever been a part of something like that? Where somebody at the top made a decision and for whatever reason felt like the decision was a good decision or felt like this direction was a good direction, but once it started to play out, started to realize, and everybody started to know, this is not going exactly as planned. And not only is it not going exactly as planned, there are some additional things that are happening that nobody even saw was going to happen. Have you ever been a part of a group of people, maybe a political party, maybe a church congregation or denomination, a society, a club, I don't know, some sort of group, where the entire group of people by the things that they have said, by the charters that they have written, by the statements that they have promulgated into society, by whatever means, have done some things that they thought were intentionally good, but had unintended consequences? Have you ever experienced something like that? I was looking for all sorts of stories, and the one that just simply came to mind, there was a dentist not too long ago that went hunting. And he has his license, apparently, and everything seems to be kosher, except he kills, does anybody remember? Cecil the lion. This, this is so distraught in your heart that you know the lion's name even to this day, right? I mean, you cannot let this go. And this gentleman, whether you have compassion for him or not, disdain for him, whatever it is, as best as we understand, was simply out on a hunting trip, but yet had no idea that there were other things going on in the community, other rules by which you play, other guidelines, other parameters by which you must obey. And as a result, this poor guy lost his business. He was, of course, vilified online, uh, all sorts of hate mail, etc., because he killed this beloved lion. Unintended consequences and NPR and all sorts of radio shows uh, make great programs out of this kind of drama. Some of the other things that have come to mind regarding unintended co- consequences are the, what make great debates amongst us. One of the documentaries that I watched uh, quite a while ago was a documentary by PBS entitled, Is Walmart Good for America? And one of the things that they talk about is this whole set of unintended consequences of trying to do something good or trying to build a business based upon all the right laws and the regulations, etc. But yet there are consequences to how they act and how they behave. And as a corporation, as a business, have actually said things that may have put that organization in jeopardy regarding legal status, regarding cultural reputation, etc., In other words, there were corporate executives that may have done things, and there are communities. The entire community may have committed unintentional sins. Uh, Is technology good for children? Is it good for children at this particular age to be on the screen and to be connected and wired and online and being able to do this all the time with your device? And there are moments especially as a parent where you go, thank the Lord for the iPad. I can finally go to the bathroom in peace. And I get it. And I understand. And then psychologists as well as 
child psychiatrist will then do some evaluation. What, what's really going on with us? And what's going on regarding our constant connection? And this isn't, by the way, just for children. It's for all of us. Are there unintended consequences for us having amazing, the most amazing connectivity that we've ever had in our entire lives? For those of you who are choosing schools for either your children or college or trying to figure out a major you head in a direction, and you think, this is a great decision. But then once you get there, once you make that decision, there are unintended consequences for that action, whether you didn't take into consideration geography or finances or whatever. And there's choices and ideas, and there's ideas, and then there's choices around those ideas all the time that we're constantly trying to make. And we think that we have the right idea and the good idea, but that only ends up in unintended consequences. I think if we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us, whether we're a leader of an organization, whether we're a parent, whether we are a child ourselves, whether we are a part of a community, uh, whether we call ourselves Christians and consider ourselves part of a Christian community, whether we are not religious at all but consider ourselves part of a non-religious community, whether we are Republican or Democratic, whether we consider ourselves part of the American society or not, whatever it is, all of us have experienced at one particular point in time decisions that were made either by the leaders, the priests, or by the entire community that had unintended consequences. And sins by which, oh, it would be so great if we could atone for those. And especially given the current political climate that is going on, I can imagine that some of you on either side of the aisle are saying that party seriously needs to we need, a, we, need a, we need a bull and a goat and a sheep and a dove. We need, we need it all. This passage that we just read in Leviticus introduces something that in the history of sacrifices, in the history of rituals, has made a giant leap forward, has pushed the Israelites into a whole new place and a whole new time of understanding what is the relationship between ethics between sins, between ritual, and what happens with the global community. What I'd like to suggest to you is the main theme that pops up here in this passage that we just read is for the first time in ritualistic history, if you go back to the Canaanite religions that we talked about before, for the very first time, these rituals of the sacrifices are deeply and intimately connected to the ethics of and the morals and the behaviors of each and every one of us. And those ethics and those morals by which we live have massive consequences and implications for our communities and for the world. Remember a while back, we talked about all of these deities and about how they are very arbitrary. But the entire thing regarding sacrifices to these deities, sacrifices to the idols, these idols in the ancient world were all about making sure that they were happy so that we could have life here on earth. What we didn't talk about is the primary platform, the prim primary understanding of this particular sacrifice was making sure that you did the ritual right. If you did the ritual right, that was going to be the medium, the means by which these gods and goddesses are going to be appeased. Never mind how you personally acted. Never mind your personal ethics. You could have been breaking a whole bunch of laws. You could actually have a darkness of heart or a darkness of spirit. But if once you came to the ritual, once you came to the sacrifice, and once you did the ritual right, 
then you were good to go regarding all these sacrifices, regarding making sure that the appeasement to the gods was happening. And it is, it is into this particular setting that this Leviticus passage in chapter 4 does something radically different and says essentially the ritual is absolutely important and the ritual is the language by which we're going to talk about atonement and forgiveness. But it's not about the ritual itself. For the first time here, it is now deeply connected to what you have done, the sins that you have committed, the ethics by which you live, the morals by which you govern yourself, whether you know them or not. This is going to be about moral and ethical purity. Let me say this again. Prior to this, if you did the ritual right, if you said, I'm sorry correctly, if you sacrificed the animal in the correct way, if you did all of those things correctly, then you're good to go. You've done everything correct. This Leviticus passage is going to say, there's something more. There's something deeper. It's not about the ritual. It's not about how you sacrifice. We're going to make sure that that is there, and that ritual is important, but it's connected to, for the first time, your ethics your morals, your behavior, how you act, what you decide to actually do in this world, what you decide to do in the decisions that you make when you are away from the altar, when you're away from the sacrifice, when you're not trying to appease the gods or when you're not trying to make amends, when you're not actually involved in the ritual. That matters. And once again, it matters even if you did not even know that you committed those sins. This is radically huge. You mean there are morals and ethics and unintended consequences that I could actually do that I don't know about, that the community doesn't know about, that actually has massive consequences for the community and for the world? The answer is yes. And all the examples that we talked about before, as well as thousands and thousands of others, there are very real-life consequences. There are very real-life implications for the things that we do, for the ethics by which we live, for the morals that govern us. There are very real consequences for the community. And this passage, this chapter 4 passage, brings all of that together. If you sin unintentionally, now we enter into the ritual, and we must accept that we have done an unintentional sin. So, let me point out a couple things, and we'll tr I'll try to sew this up at the end here and flesh out the things that I think are really, really critical for us to take away. The first thing is, if the priest sins, again, unintentionally. Now, who's the priest? He's the religious leader. He's the person that's going to be governing all of these rituals. So it's really important that he make atonement for whatever sins he's doing. So he's going to bring a bull. What's fascinating is the types of sacrifice that you bring, if you remember from a couple messages ago, are going to indicate in some ways your economic status. If you can't afford a bull, then you have a sheep, then you have a goat, or you have the doves and the pigeons, and if you can't afford that, then you have the grain and the flour. There's, there's sacrifices for all of those elements to make sure that everybody can be a part of. This particular chapter then says, but if the priest sins unintentionally, and the community sins unintentionally, it's the same sacrifice. In some ways saying that the priest is no different from the community. There is, a, there is a unified sense of equal responsibility. If somebody as a religious leader sacrifice, uh, 
unintentionally sins or if we as a community unintentionally sin. Think about your political party. If the political party unintentionally sins, is that equally important, equally critical to if only leaders of that political party sinned? There is equal status, equal implication, equal consequence to what happens in this world for both the priest and for the people. Next, there's a leader of the community, and leader could be king, chieftain, tribal leader. There's all sorts of different ways that you could translate this word. And somebody within the community. If a leader of the community unintentionally sins, or if somebody within the community unintentionally sins, both is the sacrifice of the goat. Again, bringing these two together, that there's equal responsibility, equal weight. Now, there's a slight nuance. There's a phrase in this goat passage that says, if a member of the community sins, he is to bring a hairy goat. So in your Bibles, it might be translated she-goat, but, and that's about the best that I could do there for a hairy goat. But the idea is that no matter who does this unintentional sin, there's equal weight, there's equal responsibility, there's equal consequence. What about this altar? One of the brilliant things, you know, we read this passage and, okay, so the priest is supposed to dip his finger and splash it on the horns of the altar. Like, what the heck is that all about? Like, do I really need to do that? And I was actually going to try to put up some video, but even in our modern day, actual video of blood splashing is probably not the most appropriate child-friendly, family-friendly thing to do. So I, I went and bypassed that. So what are these horns? Well, first of all, you have to understand that the horns of the altar are there. They're fixed there. They're not attached. They are a fixed portion of the altar. And most scholars will tell you that the horns of the altar are there because they come from the bull. The idea that the bull has these horns and the bull in the ancient world was always a symbol of strength. Um, you can see the evolution of the letters there that it starts with hieroglyphs and it looks to pictographs next, and then turns into symbols. And our letter A actually is an inheritor of this particular symbol. If you notice, the horns just turned upside down, and that's where we get our letter A. The horns on the altar represent the strength of the community. And in some ways, what this sprinkling of the blood on the horns of the altar is saying is your unintentional sin has damaged, has tainted, has done some sort of blemish upon the strength and the unity of the community. And since blood is life, and blood is restoration, and blood is going to be atonement, you sprinkle blood on the horns of the altar, the symbol of the strength of the community, to say that the strength of the community is now being atoned for, is now being covered over. Now, I know this is a very ancient way to think about things. We don't ever splash blood, or at least I hope you don't splash blood as a way of atoning for your sins. But this would be symbolic, deeply symbolic and significant to them. The horns, the strength of all of us has been damaged by somebody doing something, even unintentionally, and the blood being splattered is to say that we are atoning for, we are restoring once again, even the strength of the community. And then this phrase, which is so key, then the priest is to take the blood with his finger and sprinkle it seven times before the face of God. And what is this all about? Once again, your unintentional sin is not just about how you did something wrong. 
your unintentional sin broke in some ways whatever relationship or intimacy or closeness there was, the face of God. Some passages in the Bible talk about how Moses spoke to God face to face as a brother speaks to another brother or as a man speaks to another man. Face to face is an indication of intimacy, closeness, togetherness. And by sprinkling seven times, and it says literally, toward the face of God, the priest is in some ways restoring and making atonement for, you've broken that intimacy by your unintentional sin. You've broken that closeness. Remember the word for sacrifice in Hebrew is the same word for drawing near, to draw close. The horns of the altar to restore the strength of the community, seven times before the face of God to restore the intimacy that you have with the Lord. And of course, we've seen blood before do that exact same thing. Save the people. For those of you who are unfamiliar, this is an image depicting the Exodus and the story of the Passover where you sacrifice a lamb and you take some of its blood and you put it on the doorframe so that the angel of death would pass by. Once again, restoring you close to the people. So here's the best way that I can sum up these two major themes found in this particular chapter. Somebody sins unintentionally, whether it's the priest, the leader, the community, or somebody even within the community. Something pretty significant has gone on. Your morals, your ethics have something to do with it. And they have something to do with the whole community and have global implications. The altar and the face of God meant that this transgression is far more than individual transgression. You cannot sit in your room all by yourself and say that this thing that you did, this ethic that you lived by that had bad, unintentional consequences is just about you and the Lord, just about you and God. Just, well, it's just about me. No, this passage declares that your individual purity your individual ethics, the way that you live and the way that you behave and how you live morally and ethically have massive implications for this world. The whole world. And most of us in this room have experienced the consequences of somebody somewhere at some time doing some unintentional sin and we have to inherit and pick up the pieces of what it is that they've done. And this chapter declares this is more than just individual sin. This is global, national defilement. Because if the face of God is defiled to the Israelite people, the very intimacy and protection and provision of God has been defamed and taken away. And we are now vulnerable to whatever consequences are going to come. But the splashing of the blood is what purifies, atones for, and makes right, and brings forgiveness to you as an individual and to all of us as a community. Have you ever considered that your sin is not just to make you feel bad? Have you ever considered that the thing that you've held on to, that dark secret, that thing that you've been wrestling with, actually 
is reverberating. The ripples are reaching to the people most close to you. And that has ripple effects to then your broader community. And that broader community has ripple effects to a larger community outside of that. And it just keeps going and going and going. Have you ever considered how those unintended sins can have massive consequences to this world? And in some ways, I, I believe this Leviticus passage, as well as all of these passages, are not giving these to us to condemn us, but to awaken us and to liven and raise up our attentions and our awareness to there's something big and massive going on and I get to be a part of it. I am a part of it and how I live has massive implications. Have you ever considered that entire communities could commit sins? So much so that once you get a part of that community, you start to get blinded by the way that they think, by the way that they act, by the ethics and the morals that they live and so, so much so that now the entire community... Uh, Organizational psychologists call this groupthink, where everybody's now thinking the same way and everybody's now operating the same way, still perpetuating those sins. Have you ever considered that even communities could sin? Has the Christian community, even though you personally may not have committed some sins throughout our history, have we committed communal sins that have unintended consequences throughout? Absolutely we have. And we are some, in some ways you know, reaping the repercussions of that even to this particular day. Individual sins, unintended, communal, have massive implications. And this passage is inviting us in to become aware of what those are and to make atonement, to make sacrifice so that we can be forgiven. And once that happens, then the entire community, the, the whole world, the whole world could be healed as a result of this. Now, What's really, really critical is going back to the contrast again. Remember, previously in Canaanite religions and other cults, the ritual was enough. But here, in the Levitical passage, it's not enough. The ritual is to initiate and inaugurate the healing and the forgiveness and the atonement and the restoration. But then once that happens, it is a call and a commission to each and every one of us to now fall in line once again with God's intimacy, with the strength of the community to live the ethics and the morals that the Lord is going to hand down to us. And that's coming through the rest of Leviticus, the rest of Deuteronomy, all the rest of the Torah, all the rest of these passages. The commission now is to live by those ethics. And if we could be forgiven, be atoned, have all that covered over and then live by those ethics, just like our sin could taint the entire world, our redemption could free the entire world. Our redemption could radically transform and make our community whole again. And it's not enough to just go through the ritual. It's not enough just to say, well, you know what, I went to church, I read my Bible, I did my spiritual disciplines, I said the Hail Marys, I, whatever trinket that I have, whatever candles that I lit, okay, I did the ritual, great, I'm all good. As if those little incantations, as if those little rituals are exactly what God wanted. That's not going to cut it. Because this passage commissions you, the ritual is just the symbol and the beginning of, now you are growing closer and more intimate with the Lord. Live by his standards. 
live by his ethics and begin to redeem these unintentional sins. Now, there's a little bit of a nuance here. For those of you, I want to speak to those of you who might happen to be leaders in any particular capacity. You might be a CEO of a company, you might be a parent, you might be a teacher in a classroom, you might be the head of your department, whatever it is, you are a leader in that particular community. Have you committed an unintentional sin? The answer, according to this particular passage, is unequivocally yes. Watch this. In each of the four delineations, there is the phrase, if a priest commits an unintentional sin. Regarding the community, if the community commits an unintentional sin. Regarding a leader of the community, the phrase is, if, that should be backwards. It's regarding a member of the community, if the member of the community has committed a sin. When it comes to the leader, and I'm sorry I have a typo up there, when it comes to the leader of the community, the phrase is, when. When the leader of the community commits an unintentional sin. Now, if you look through Jewish commentary on this passage, it begins to explode because there's all sorts of implications regarding those of us who happen to be in positions of leadership. The question is not if a leader sins. The question is when. They understood that when you are in a position of leadership, whether you're leading a group, whether you're a parent, whether you're a department lead, whatever it is, when you are a leader, Every decision you make will have unintended consequences. And so what you're looking for, and and again, there's all sorts of wonderful commentary. What you're looking for is a leader who does not say, I'm pretty good. I don't need to be forgiven for anything. I've got it all taken care of. What you're looking for is somebody to recognize. I recognize this decision may have had an unintended consequence. Let's make sure we cover what those unintended consequences are. There's one commentary that I found particularly delightful. Rabbi Yochanan ben Sakai relates when to the word happy. The word for when is a share. The word for happy is a share. Same word. So he connects the two when and happy together. And he says, this is possibly how we can interpret this. Happy is the generation whose leader is willing to bring a sin offering for his mistakes. So if you are a position of leadership, wherever you are, happy are the people that you lead when you are willing and humble enough to bring an offering to sacrifice for whatever mistakes have been made. And I find that when you do that, the kind of healing that that can happen, the kind of transparency, kind of redemption that can happen in community is pretty fantastic and amazing. And that's the whole point. When these sacrifices are made by the priest, by the community, by a member of the community, by a leader of the community, just like our sins have negative consequences, so does our sacrifice and our redemption have amazing positive consequences in this world. Let's bring this home. Are there unintended consequences and sins that happen to how we relate as a community, as a country? Are there unintended consequences to massive communities for the sins, whether intentional or unintentional, of leaders, of priests, of members of communities? Are there unintended consequences to us 
putting together a judicial system that is intended to do right, intended to make sure that things are put so that everybody has due process of law. But yet, somehow, some way, in the way in which the judicial system is set up, there are unintended consequences, and sometimes justice actually doesn't happen. Are there unintended consequences to political people making statements and making decisions and particular groups of people that through their particular platform have unintended consequences for our world? Yes. This Leviticus passage is millennia ahead of the same of all the things that we are dealing with even to this day. Are there unintended consequences to the way law enforcement happens and how they react and respond and all of the reports and the issues that we've been dealing with in our country recently regarding law enforcement. For all of these particular pieces of the puzzle, I ask you the question, are there unintended sins that exist? And the answer is a resounding yes. There are huge implications. This is not something that is written in an ancient book long time ago, even though the, the rituals and the sacrifices may be foreign to us, the principles and the concepts are still alive today. It could be a priest. It could be a religious leader. It could be a leader of a community. It could be the entire community itself, or it could be just a member of the community. There are massive implications. And this is the point. The ritual the ritual of coming forward, whether it's in a judicial system, in law enforcement, whether it's politics and coming forward and doing the ritual and saying, okay, I'm sorry, and I'll, I'll make things right, and I'll, you know, do whatever is socially appropriate to kind of cover over or gloss over, is not going to cut it. Because this does not demand that we just go through a ritual in order to become pure. This demands that we go through an ethical and a moral transformation. And if the leaders of the community, the priests of the community, the community itself, as well as the members of the community could go through an ethical and moral transformation, that could have radical, redemptive implications for our world. Hugely significant implications. It could have implications for your little department. It could have implications for your classroom. It could have implications for your group. It could have massive implications. Throughout biblical history, then, other people have commented on this idea. Why? Because people throughout history have gotten caught up and have gotten distracted with the ritual. And they keep thinking it's the ritual that's important. It's the sacrifice that's important. It's making sure that we follow all the commands that are important. And to that impulse throughout humanity, even to this day, prophets have risen up amongst the people and said, you don't get it. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? No. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. And you see these prophets rise up and say, if you think it's about the sacrificial system, you've missed it. These systems are just the beginning and point to radical, ethical, moral, spiritual transformation here. So Leviticus is about this particular chapter and the unintended consequences 
is about recognizing that there are huge implications for your personal sins, intended or unintended, and they have massive consequences for the world. But through the ritual, through the atonement, through the strength of the community, through restoring intimacy with the Lord seven times before the face of God, by doing all of that and being transformed into his ethics and into his morals, we could have massive redemptive implications for our community and for the world in whatever realm you find yourselves in. Uh, Dave, go ahead and come on up. We're going to close with the song, Create in Me a Clean Heart, O God, and Renew a Right Spirit Within Me. And we'll just sing um, a verse or two of this as a closing commission to all of us that even as we continue to study Leviticus and all the sacrificial systems and we get caught up, and I think a lot of people sometimes reject the Levitical passages as well as the Old Testament and other of these, other of these passages simply because that's all they can see, the blood and the bulls and all of this kind of thing, because why does anybody need that? And I think the whole point is exactly, that's not the point. The point is that our hearts would be transformed. That God would create within us a clean heart. That we would be radically transformed from here. And the rituals and the sacrifices, the splashing of the blood on the horns, the sprinkling of the blood seven times before the Lord is all about yearning and calling for us to be reignited once again in God's ethics and morals and to live that way. And if we were to just take one or two steps in that direction, can you imagine what kind of healing, restorative, redemptive implications that could be for our world? So let's sing this together in that light and in that spirit, and then I'll close this with a benediction. I want to close a little bit differently. Our, our prayer team is here. Joy boxes are in the back and online, but um, I want to close with the closing piece. By participating in that ritual, by participating in the sprinkling of the blood, it says, so the priest will make atonement for those sins and the entire community will be forgiven. If I had another 40 minutes, I would spend that time talking about God's grace and forgiveness through these rituals. For tonight, I'd just like to share with you a benediction, a closing prayer from the Lutheran tradition that Daniel sent me in preparation for this particular week. When it gets to the all caps, you are invited to say the phrase along with me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Most merciful God, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us 
so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given us his son to die for us and for his sake forgives us of all our sins. And because of his grace, we individually and communally declare the entire forgiveness of all of our sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.